Welcome to Call Jeshurun, a podcast from Congregation B'nai Jeshurun, a vibrant and flourishing Reformed Jewish community in Short Hills, New Jersey. Welcome. I am Rabbi Matthew Gewertz. Call Jeshurun is where you can come to engage with teachings of relevant wisdom and music. You will hear from our clergy, staff, and guest speakers who will help bring meaning into a world that so badly needs it. If you would like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at tbj.org. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Call Jeshurun, our new podcast. And this is a really special week for me. I'm Rabbi Matthew Gewertz, and I'm here with uh, four of our extraordinary leaders, those who have served as president of our congregation, specifically because this week is Parshat Yitro, the portion uh, where Moses's father-in-law shows up almost out of the blue and really saves the, the nature, the trajectory of the Jewish people by advising Moses to make decisions in a way that really changes not only the future of the Jewish people, but also the future of decision-making in many respects resembles the progenitor of what our judicial system is today. Well, we've asked four presidents uh, to come be with us in our podcast today, who specifically have served the congregation during unexpected crisis. And if it were not for their leadership, we would not be who we are, where we are today as a congregation. So uh, starting with Charlie Dreyfus, who was president from 1988 through 1990, followed by Richard Zucker, who was president from 2001 through 2002, Maureen Spivak, who was president from 2011 through 2014, and Craig Parker, who has been president uh, from 2019 until now. Welcome to the four of you. It's really a pleasure to have you and has always been a privilege to be your partner. I've asked the four of you to come today because each of you, as I said earlier, served the congregation during acute crisis. Charlie, for you, if anyone knows our congregation, they know the extraordinary roof. Well, during your presidency, I will say not because of you, but during your presidency, the roof was in real trouble, and a roof like ours doesn't cost $100. It really costs a lot of money. Richard, you were president when 9-11 happened, one of the days that are indelibly marked our nation's spirit, and obviously very much so for those of us who live in the Northeast. Maureen, you were vice president of finance during the crash of 08 and sat in a room with the president, Eric Selinger, and myself as we took out our scalpels and were cutting the budget, not knowing if we were going to have to put beds in the social hall to bring people in. And in your own presidency, how to deal with how to retool our budget, how to raise money, and how to refurbish our synagogue. And Craig, of course, you never expected to become president uh, during the first pandemic since 1918, of course, racial uprisings in a divided country that none of us could ever imagine. So, you know, Charlie, I'll begin with you since you're the uh, the president who served first. So, Charlie, did you ever imagine that you would actually be a temple president in your life? Not really. Uh, I was raised at a conservative synagogue, so I wasn't really involved, and it was Jeshurun and specifically uh, Rabbi Green, who pulled me in early on. We, we joined in 78, and by 88, I was president. So, no, I didn't ever think I would be. So why'd you do it? By that time, Madeline, of course, was involved, and our daughters were involved. We were uh, regular Friday night uh, participants. We I started 
serving on the board, worked my way up as we all do, and really got an appreciation for the people and the community. Richard Zucker, you were the son-in-law of my predecessor by two, uh, Rabbi Pilchik, who anyone who's listening who was a congregant of Rabbi Pilchik thought that he was the voice of God himself. So in some respects, it probably wasn't are that. You, are you suggesting he wasn't? <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> suggesting nothing of the, of the type at all. But did you, <laughs> even though you married into the royal family, if you will, did you imagine you would take that place of leadership? A- absolutely not. Um, I remember serving with Charlie during his presidency. Um, I was a vice president from 1988 to 1992 for those four years. And, you know, and I sort of stepped out of my, my, my shoes from what I was. I, I tended to be more a follower than a leader as I look back on my life. I mean, there were certainly leadership activities that I was engaged in, but I did it. I ran. My life then it just totally changed. Maureen, you have told me in ways that I'm not even sure if you remember telling me, but it's always touched me that in many ways you were raised to uh, be committed to service in the world. And if I remember correctly, your service originally was to the township. Yes. And, uh, and you, I know you never imagined becoming president of the synagogue. How did that happen to you? No, exactly. I, I've always lived my life to the fullest. I believe every day you have to live it to the fullest. And I would spend my day in my professional life working with every non-secular healthcare organization. And then I would come home to Short Hills and I was the chairperson of the Citizens Budget Advisory Committee, which is the fiscal oversight for Milburn Township. And that was great. But what was missing, I love service, but what was missing is I never felt like I had a Jewish community. We uh, we were members of the temple. We had a small child, but I was away. And uh, I touched the shoulder of Rabbi Grafman at the time. And I said to him, I really want to feel a Jewish community. I want to I have all this service that I want to give, and I'm kind of tired of giving it without feeling something back that would give me something a little bit more. And he said, great. (laughs) And uh, literally seven years later, I was president. Seven years after that moment. Seven years after I tapped his shoulder to say I wanted to get involved. I I moved because those were not easy years that Eric had when you were basically next in line. And, uh, and the fact that you still continue to commit to the presidency after we had such a rough three years, uh, a very good three years, but a very tough time is extraordinary. Craig, I, 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 could, I could see in my mind installing you with your mom and your dad, your dad whose memory should be for blessing, obviously, but when I'm watching you and I said, what was going on? You said, they're looking there thinking, how did this kid become the president of a synagogue? So I'm guessing you also didn't imagine becoming president of a synagogue. So tell us. No, not at all. I mean, I was growing up. I mean, I was the typical kid who, you know, didn't want to go to Hebrew school, 
was dragged to services on the holidays and it wasn't something I ever saw myself doing or aspiring to. But then as Charlie said, you start to get involved and, you know, they pull you in. So it started with playing softball with the Brotherhood on Sunday mornings. That was it. That was my only involvement. And then from there, you know, you get involved with the Brotherhood, you become president of the Brotherhood. And then, you know, now I'm on the board. And even throughout my tenure on the board, I still never thought and never aspired to be president. But our former executive director, Alice, used to tell me all the time, you're going to be president of the temple one day. And I told her she was crazy. And then we had, I don't remember, it wasn't the opening night gala. It was the gala, I think, that followed it where the past presidents were honored. And I just remember standing there watching on the screen as all the past presidents were honored, many of whom I knew, many of whom I had worked under being on the board and whatnot. And I just started to think what a special group of people that was and how honored it would be to come back 20 years, 30 years, 40 years and be part of that next group. And that's really when I just started thinking about it. But even then, I didn't really say anything or do anything until you came to me and Richard came to me and we started to have that discussion. And then, of course, once I agreed, I sent Alice an email and said, guess what? I'm going to be the next president of Jeshrit. And she said, I told you so. Well, that, that, that's what happens with the likes of Alice Litvak yeah. and Rabbi Barry Green. Once they tap you, it's almost impossible to turn around. So it's funny, Morgan, you tap the rabbi, the rabbi sometimes taps people. One of the most cherished uh, relationships I've had is with each of you, even the two of you who were not presidents during my time have served as very, very important advisors to me in, in different ways. And of course, Maureen, we had three years together and, and, and uh, Craig, we're a year and a half into it. And, you know, Jethro changed the trajectory of the Jewish people by giving Moses advice that really changed the course of Jewish history, uh, one could argue. And I would say that every president with whom I've worked has given me at least, uh, but it's much more than one, but there have been pivotal moments where you've advised senior rabbis in ways that changed the rabbi and changed the congregation. Can each of you reflect on um, a piece of advice that you gave to the senior rabbi of the time that you think was incredibly important and impactful? And Maureen, let's start with you. Well, you know, Matt, I've thought a lot about this and I'm not sure it's advice, but rather I think I brought a different perspective in that I was the vice president of finance during a financial recession. And we had to instill a structure uh, that never before really existed. And we also were a size that we never were before. We had grown past being kind of a small community temple, our scope our reach was much broader. Our size was larger in terms of revenue and families. So there, I think that when I look back at our, our time together, my perspective, it was two things, recovering from the financial crisis, but then really implementing the long range plan. So when you put all those things together, the perspective I think that I brought was one of more, what does it really mean to be a fiduciary of this temple? 
and how in everything we we talked about sustainability, but and we talked about it in terms of financial, spiritual, physical sustainability. But that was with that came a responsibility that everyone needed to take on. So when I think about that time, I think about how we were really changing what we expected of, of our governance, of our, of our board, and to put in best practices, which I think today we sit with a 20-member board that is incredibly strong and diverse because of, uh, I think, the perspectives that, were, uh, that I brought uh, at that time. Beautiful. Every Friday was our hour, and uh, which which always was most important to me. The first it was really forty five minutes because the first fifteen minutes we always spent just checking in on each other's families, which meant a great deal to me. But I remember you used to have the fiduciary is one line, but you used to say to me, "We're not a mom and pop shop, and yeah. we have to actually put practices into place that are going to set ourselves up for many years past the time that we're here." And I, I actually think, Maureen, looking at it, and I have the, the chills a lot, I have the chills a lot during this conversation. I think a lot of those practices are actually in place now that uh, during this current crisis, it wasn't like we had to redo all of that again. We had to, we've done a lot of digging, but there are a lot of practices are in place. Charlie, how about you, to, to Rabbi Green? Well, in many ways, Rabbi Green didn't have any siblings. I didn't have any siblings. And he sort of became my older brother. We were really close, and it was two ways. I, you know, he, well, I was president when I was relatively young, and you know, he had a lot more experience, and I often sought him out. But in terms of what I think I provided Barry the most, uh, help with was feedback from the congregation. I always postured myself. People knew of my relationship with Barry, but they also knew that they could come with me with concerns about the temple, including any concerns about Barry, for that matter. And, you know, we had, uh, I think, the temple, I, and Barry all benefited by that conduit that existed because of that. You know, and I've had every president, I can't think of one that hasn't been, has been incredibly sensitive, protective on one hand of me, but also tells me the truth. And, um, and I don't mean, you know, this, a sermon gets a million reactions. So to say my group loved it doesn't mean anything because a whole other group might have hated it. But telling you the truth about yourself, your leadership, and what's demanded of you. Richard Mandel, who's, who's not on this call, we could have had everyone on, remember saying to me something along the lines of, stagnancy has never worked well for me. And, uh, and you know, and I, at first I thought, you know, how offensive we have. And he said, I wanna see, I wanna see palpable measures of growth all the time. And, you know, and within a couple of weeks, I was like, wow, that fire being lit under our spiritual bottom was really good for us. And so telling the truth is important. Richard, how about you? I really echo much of what Charlie said. I can't recall being in that position where I was 
giving advice to Barry, but he was very helpful to me. And I think between him and Marshall, Marshall Sherman, they were just so supportive of me. And we all, all three of us, uh, were concerned with B'nai Jeshurun. And that's what was important to all three of us. And I think it it showed uh, on September 11th. I was, I was trying a case in New Brunswick. I rushed up to the temple. I didn't go home. I came directly to the temple because I knew there were kids here. And within 24 hours, especially with Marshall's help, a former president, Fred Smith, I remember also with, with our help, we got on the telephone and we called on the telephone every single member and arranged for there to be a, a membership service. September 11th, if I'm not mistaken, was a Tuesday. I think it was on a Thursday that we got everybody there. It was healing not only the synagogue it, itself, but also a healing service for, for what had happened two days earlier. I like what you said about one of the best things about our presidents, and all of you have shown me this, in fact, everyone has, that nothing is also beneath you. Just because you've risen to the highest levels of leadership doesn't mean that you can't do the old-fashioned work of getting on the phone and calling every member. And I have found that. I mean, also the jobs that you've all taken on now. And I've always said this about being the senior rabbi. I am always available to cut apples for Rosh Hashanah if you need an extra hand. And you've all taught that and modeled that. And that's a beautiful story about bringing healing to the community by them hearing the president's voice on the phone. It's an extraordinary lesson for all of us. Craig, um, I mean, I know we're right in the middle of it, but what, what, what perspective would you bring in terms of advice you've helped bring to me, clergy leadership now? I don't think, I think what Maureen said, I don't think it's specifically advice I've given you. I mean, you've certainly given me far more than, than I've given you. I think part of the job of, of the president is providing the senior rabbi with certain assurances that things are being taken care of so that you can sleep easier at night, even though you have, you know, all your crises that pop up during the day, but at least you know that the ones that you can't directly handle are, are being handled competently. And if it's something that I can't handle, I know that there are 24 other board members and past presidents and, and people that I can rely upon who are beyond generous with their time when, when they need to be, who can help do whatever needs to be done or give whatever answers need to be given so that you can have the assurance that everything is being taken care of appropriately. And if things run the way they're supposed to run, even during a time of crisis, that does make your life easier. And, and that opens you up to being able to do what you do best. So each of you, Richard, you spoke to this. I want to turn to the other three of you in terms of the crises you, you, you faced and what you felt like you did by way of response and how and why you responded that way. And then we'll do a little bit of follow-up. But um, Maureen, tell us about the crash of 08, the asbestos, the change of personnel. You had a lot of moving pieces. We did. A lot, a lot, a lot of money. On the, not, not that money counts most, but we really could have fallen apart financially. You know, in any crisis, we surrounded ourselves with really right, bright people with the skills and expertise to deal with a specific problem that we had to deal with. To me, leadership is about 
surrounding yourself with the right skills and experience for the job that needs to get done and breaking things apart in manageable pieces so that everybody can cope with it and, and only deal with what we have to deal with today. It's also rising to the occasion to do things right. So while there were a lot of difficult choices and a lot of difficult decisions, we always said, even with the asbestos, the right thing is to deal with it now and deal with all of it. So if that meant we had to delay the project, and it did for one year, so that we could do it, we were going to do it right, because it was the right thing to do. We were going to find the money, we were going to pay for it, and do it. So I guess my own ethics and integrity, do the right thing, surround yourself with the right people, break the problem down, and you could solve anything. And I... I found that over and over again uh, at TBJ. So it's interesting, uh, during my reign, and I use that term because <laughs> literally rain came in Ellis Auditorium, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but I was similar to what you, Rabbi Matt, said, my own rabbi in residence here, Madeline, told me that the Torah portion is Yitro. And um, I thought about, you know, that it takes a village. The, the, the Torah portion basically says community, use the resources, you know, this is how you're going to get it done. And you had said something before, Matt, about old-fashioned work, nothing's beneath us. Literally, the board and the rabbi, we went, we were all in Ellis Auditorium with buckets. Garbage cans, catching the water. Catching the water. And similarly, also, uh, as Richard mentioned, Richard was vice president, and all of the environmental things we did with the state Richard handled. I mean, I was relieved of all of that work because Richard did such a fabulous legal job on all of that stuff, you know, and Marshall Sherman and all the other past presidents and board members at the time. Um, I delegated to Bob Rosenberg, who succeeded me as president, a lot of work also. And, and we, I benefited by incorporating the, the notion of it takes a village. Craig, you've, you've had, you know, in many respects like Maureen, like just, a, I don't think there's been a moment where you have not been a president during crisis. It maybe you had three, four months before it happened. So Craig, how about you? This has been a really heck of an 18 months for you. You know, I, I think, and again, I'll echo what Maureen said. I mean, it, it's, and Charlie too, I mean, it's it's relying on the people who are around you. And then in the end, you know, I think we still have to remember, and it's not always easy at times, is that we're not running a corporation. It's, you know, we still have to look at things in, in a fiduciary way. Don't get me wrong. We still have to be very careful and very conservative about our finances. But yet, you know, we're still... A different type of an entity, you know. I, I think that's part of it is is relying on the experts, but also understanding who we are, um, and and what 
our decisions mean, even if they're not necessarily the decisions that we otherwise would want to make. We don't have a lot of time left, so I, I want to, these are not easy questions to answer quickly, but I want to ask you, what do you miss about being president, and has it or did it impact your Jewish life? One of the things that I missed um, is that I had created having meetings with the meetings with the president every Sunday morning, or maybe every other Sunday morning in Ellis Auditorium. And I sort of missed that. It would be the opportunity for the membership to come and air their grievances um, if, if that's what they want to talk about, whatever they want to talk about. Um, and it was totally off the record, um, but it was something I, I sort of missed that because it, uh, it enabled me to meet um, other members of the congregation, many of whom I did not know. And that's what I sort of missed. Maureen, uh, what do you miss and how about impact on your spiritual life? Well, I, I truthfully, I, I was the president for three years. I loved every minute of it. But what I miss is my weekly calls with the rabbi. Yeah. I loved it. Our first 15 minutes, I looked at it as our heart to heart time. And then we got into the TBJ business time. Overall, you know, it, it created and strengthened my Jewish community which I really didn't have. And so it's uh, has given me a richness in my life, which is beyond words. Charlie? Well, uh, I know very specifically what I miss. During those times when we were dealing with all of the work that involved Alice and the ancillary effect of that, I started working from home on Fridays but I had meetings every Friday morning at Temple to review what was going on. And, you know, I had a whole bunch of documents and there was a lot of expenses and the issue of, you know, funding it, uh, the assessment and so forth. But I got uh, payback. And the payback was I visited each classroom. Wow. And saw the kids and this was you know on Shabbat and they did you know they or they came up and sat in our uh, hallway and they were singing and that just was so uplifting. In, in all the years I've known you and you've talked a lot I've never heard that story that's a beautiful beautiful story and, and I always say by the way that when in doubt if I'm having a bad day I just walk down the early childhood center hallway and you get completely different perspective. Craig? I mean, it's an honor. You're serving your community in ways that you otherwise can't. Even being on the board, it's not the same. Being vice president of this or that, I mean, it's still not the same. Obviously, I can't be a rabbi and I can't sing, but to be president, is, is it's, it's the culmination of, and not the end, but it's the culmination of service on the board. And it's an honor to be of service to my community in this way, in any way I can. That's beautifully said. Folks who are listening out there, um, and I am not saying this because these four or any other presidents of the congregation need uh, more kudos or thanks, but the hours that are put in by a president of a congregation, especially of our size, are hours that no one out there knows about. And, and you should. You should know that the kind of devotion and dedication, integrity, love, uh, honesty, 
uh, ethics and values are just extraordinary. And what I've learned from you is that like me, when I'm in a supermarket, you're never just out buying a box of Cheerios because any and every time someone will stop you and generally they're really respectful, but every once in a while they'll lodge a really serious complaint about what's going on. People at home, this is a podcast, we're all on Zoom together so I could see the smiles of all four of you. Continue to bring that smile and that enthusiasm and that love um, all of the time. And, and that really is the common thread between the presidents. I remember that night clearly when we honored our presidents, you look up there and you say, that is a very special group of people who have to come with a huge amount of qualities and skills to be able to be president, but also people who really cherish it. So um, to Maureen Spivak, to Charlie Dreyfus, to Richard Zucker, to Craig Parker, and I would say um, your four names in the name of all of our presidents, those who are living and those who are not, we express on behalf of the congregation, on behalf of your clergy partners, such gratitude to you for devoting time when I know each of you have a huge amount of things professionally and personally grabbing at you, and you never say no, ever, just like you didn't say no for this. And that service, I'll get a little melodramatic here, but that service, I think, will be felt um, at your time when you, at 120 years old, meet our maker, and there'll be an extra sense of gratitude for what you've done for us. So thank you on behalf of the congregation of clergy and of staff, because it means a lot to us. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we really appreciate that you continue to listen to our podcast. Make sure when you see the four of these folks that you give them an extra, well, you can't give them a hug, but you give them a virtual elbow for right now. These folks will be carrying Torahs up that aisle, God willing, this coming September for Yom Kippur, which represents our leadership for now 174 years will be next year, which means, by the way, be careful because you don't know who's going to be asked to chair our 175th. Signing off from Maplewood and Short Hills and New York City and Springfield. Thank you very much and have a great evening, everyone. Thank you for listening to this edition of Call Jeshurun. If you would like to learn more, visit our website at tbj.org and follow us on social media for updates on all our upcoming opportunities for engagement. We really hope to see you soon.